This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, November 4th. Coming up, we'll look back at the life and legacy of the late Dennis Moore, a former U.S. representative from the Kansas City area. Talented, young people may be turned off by the whole process. And I think for the, the good of the country, nothing could be better than having people look to role models like Dennis Moore and say, you know, I want to be like that guy. And we ask why exactly police in Kansas confiscated a van full of money from legal medical marijuana businesses in Missouri. But first, some headlines. The Kansas City Land Bank will vote to appoint a new board chair this week after the departure of interim leader Julie Anderson. The Kansas City Beacon's Emily Wolf reports. Attorney Julie Anderson has advertised her law firm as, quote, one of the largest filers of residential and commercial eviction cases in the Kansas City metropolitan area. A Beacon investigation also found that Anderson represented a land bank buyer in eviction proceedings. The housing advocacy group KC Tenants argued those facts undermined Anderson's ability to lead an organization tasked with affordable housing solutions and demanded her removal. The board plans to appoint LaDonna Gooden as its new chair later this week. Gooden works on economic development issues and the Kansas City Mayor's Office. Conservative newcomers prevailed in school board races across Kansas on Tuesday, ousting incumbents in several large districts. As Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service reports, the election reflects a change in campaign tactics. Conservative candidates beat out incumbents in Wichita, Johnson County, Manhattan, and Garden City, among other communities. Many received support from the 1776 Project PAC, a national political action committee that opposes the teaching of critical race theory. The concept isn't taught in Kansas schools, but several of the candidates spoke out against materials focused on diversity and racial justice. Russell Fox is a professor of political science at Friends University. He says national wedge issues could change the tenor of local school board races. Other people are going to see this and they're going to say, look, it worked. And so, you know, they're going to keep that in the back of their minds as a strategy. In May, a sheriff's deputy in central Kansas seized $166,000 from a van transporting the cash from Kansas City medical marijuana dispensaries to a bank in Colorado. KCUR's Dan Margulies wrote about the case last week, and he's here to talk about why it has so many legal experts scratching their heads. Hi, Dan. Hi, Nomi. So what happened in this case, and why is it unusual? Right. Well, money forfeiture cases are fairly routine in federal court. Um, These cases typically seek the forfeiture of proceeds from illegal drug transactions. Now, this particular case, no mean, likewise involved proceeds from drug transactions, but the drug transactions in this case were perfectly legal. Here's what I mean. The money consisted of proceeds from medical marijuana dispensaries in Missouri, more particularly dispensaries in Kansas City. And as you know, Missouri voters approved medical marijuana for patients with qualifying conditions in 2018. So why did the U.S. attorney in Kansas want to seize the money? That no mean is the $166,000 question. Let me back up for a moment to tell you about the underlying facts of the case. You correctly stated it all started back in May when a deputy sheriff in Dickinson County, Kansas, stopped a Ford Transit van for an alleged traffic violation. 
The driver, who worked for a cash transit company called Imperial Logistics, told the deputy sheriff that she was headed to Kansas City to pick up cash at various medical marijuana dispensaries and then would be heading back to Colorado to deposit the cash at a credit union in Denver. This is all according, by the way, to an affidavit filed with the U.S. Attorney's forfeiture complaint. So the next day, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, surveils this van and indeed it sees the driver stopping at and entering various marijuana dispensaries in Kansas City. The driver then heads back west on I-70, whereupon she stopped by the self-same sheriff's deputy in Dickinson County, this time with five bags of cash in the truck. While the cash is seized, and three or so months later, don't ask me why there was this lapse of time, but three or so months later, the U.S. attorney in Kansas files this forfeiture complaint, claiming the money was obtained in exchange for a controlled substance in violation of the Federal Controlled Substances Act. So the money came from dispensaries in Missouri where medical marijuana is legal. Is it illegal to transport that money through Kansas? What's going on there? That is an excellent question. Medical marijuana is not legal in Kansas and more to the point for uh, in reference to this case, it's still not legal at the federal level. So technically, when the driver was transporting that cash through Kansas, it was subject to seizure. It reminds me, by the way, of a story from before your time, Nomeen, back in the 1970s, when the Kansas Attorney General, whose name was Vern Miller, tried to bust an airline for serving drinks when its airplanes flew over Kansas, which then prohibited liquor, the sale of liquor by the drink. But the question here is why the U.S. attorney is bothering with this case. Is there so little federal crime in Kansas that this is what the U.S. attorney's office is reduced to? I, I should point out that during the Obama administration, when Eric Holder was the attorney general, the Justice Department put out a memo saying it would not pursue marijuana pros prosecutions in states where it's legal. Now, Trump's first attorney general, Jeff Sessions, rescinded that memo, but the current attorney general, Merrick Garland, says the DOJ is going to abide by it. And moreover, for the last few years, Congress has attached riders to the DOJ's budget, stipulating that the Justice Department cannot spend any of its budget blocking the implementation of state medical marijuana laws. So it is a mystery why the U.S. attorney is pursuing this case. What has the U.S. attorney's office said in response to this story? Well, it says what it always says when you ask them to comment on pending litigation. Quote, we don't comment on pending litigation. Well, there you go. <laughs> what impact might this case have beyond the businesses who had their cash seized? Right. So if legal taxable dispensaries in Missouri are subject to prosecution or having their money seized in states like Kansas, then what's to prevent the U.S. attorney from seizing the assets of businesses that serve them? What's to prevent the U.S. attorney from, say, seizing the assets of an, an attorney who represents such businesses if the attorney has an office in Kansas? Or what's to prevent him from seizing the assets of a bank that does business with medical marijuana dispensaries? In fact, a lot of banks and other financial institutions like credit unions 
are loath to do business with these dispensaries for precisely that reason, for fear they'll be penalized and even lose the ability to offer deposit insurance because they're doing business with dispensaries that are illegal in some states and at the federal level are illegal. That's probably, by the way, why the marijuana dispensaries in this case were shipping their money to Colorado, which along with Washington State was the very first to legalize cannabis for recreational use back in 2012. Dan Margulies reports on legal issues for KCUR. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Nomi. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a part of UMB Bank, your story is our focus. UMB works closely with you to tailor a plan that meets your goals through every stage of life and changing economic climates. UMB's customized financial planning services and resources help you accumulate, preserve, and protect wealth, giving you peace of mind about your future. UMB, everything we do starts with you, from our high-touch service to our robust suite of wealth management products. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Former U.S. Representative Dennis Moore died Tuesday after a three-year battle with Alzheimer's disease and a brief bout with cancer. Moore represented the 3rd District of Kansas, including Wyandotte County and Johnson County, for 12 years. KCUR's Laura Ziegler reports Moore will be remembered as a lawmaker who cherished constituent service and civility. Former Kansas Representative Dennis Moore was known as a moderate Democrat who was able to hold his third district congressional seat for six terms in spite of a majority Republican constituency. Between the time he was elected in 1998 and 2010, when he retired, Moore never took his re-election for granted. He was known to gripe that one of his greatest frustrations was having to campaign for his next election the day after he'd won another term. Moore had a down-home and folksy style. After his 2006 victory, he took the stage with his wife, children, and grandchildren to humbly thank his supporters. Then he did something he was known to do with his office staff. From time to time, he pulled out his guitar. During Moore's tenure in Washington, his district included the Democratic strongholds of Kansas City, Kansas, and Lawrence, but most of it was comprised of affluent, mostly white, and Republican Johnson County. While these Republicans were often referred to as rhinos, or Republicans in name only, because of their more moderate leanings, the county followed the nation, swinging to the right throughout the 2000s. Longtime friend Carolyn McKnight says Dennis Moore was able to hang on to his seat because people trusted him. They liked Dennis Moore. They saw that he was working hard. They saw that he really cared about them. And guess what? He showed up. Dennis Moore was born in Anthony, Kansas, southwest of Wichita. He graduated from the University of Kansas in 1967 and Washburn Law School in 1970. After a stint with the U.S. Army Reserve, he became an assistant Kansas attorney general, followed by 12 years as Johnson County District Attorney. Former Johnson County Sheriff Frank Denning worked with Moore as a cop, police chief, and later as sheriff. Denning says Moore prided himself on being fair and honest. If you couldn't make a case based on facts and evidence, you just couldn't make a case. You didn't cut a corner. You didn't embellish. 
Moore hired attorney Tom Bath in the mid-1980s to work with him in the DA's office. Bath says one of the most important things he learned from Moore was how to look at every case individually. For instance, we had a diversion program back there for people who committed sexual offenses against family members. Dennis thought there are certain cases that we want to try to get the families potentially back together. It may just look old-fashioned by today's standards, but Dennis Moore prioritized civility. As campaigns became more vitriolic and uglier, he said his job became harder and less rewarding. In a conversation around his kitchen table following his last term, he said the lack of collegiality and spirit of cooperation contributed to his decision to retire. When I was first uh, in Congress, I belonged to a group called the Center Isle Caucus. This is a group of Republicans and Democratic members who would get together at least once a month, sometimes a couple times a month, just have lunch or have dinner. And somebody says, well, what, what's the point of that? Well, the point is, if you get to know somebody on a personal basis, it's hard to be hateful to them. And I'll tell you what, for the last year and a half I was in Congress, we had no meetings. Moore was a centrist. He got an F grade from conservative groups on many social issues. He supported women's rights and restrictions on guns. He got high marks from environmental advocates. But at one time, he was also the policy co-chair for the fiscally conservative Blue Dog Democrats. He looked out for vets, sponsoring bills to raise a death gratuity for families of fallen soldiers and to provide funds for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans on short-term leave. Former Kansas Governor Kathleen Sebelius, a longtime friend of the Moore family, says Dennis Moore was an old-school politician of the time now missing from the current political landscape. Talented young people may be discouraged about seeing public office as an opportunity to serve. Nothing could be better than having people look to role models like Dennis Moore and say, you know, I want to be like that guy. Two years after Dennis Moore retired from Congress, he went public with his diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, testifying before Congress in 2014 for more research and resources. Along with his wife, Stephanie, Dennis Moore continued his life of public service until he was no longer able, advocating on behalf of the some 7 million Americans with Alzheimer's disease. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Laura Ziegler. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can read Dan's story about marijuana in Kansas and Missouri and Laura's story about Dennis Moore on our website, kcur.org, where you can also listen to a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. If you like the podcast, rate us and leave us a review. And give us a call at 816-235-8930, where you can leave a voicemail with your thoughts. Tomorrow, we'll hear how Kansas City kids are feeling about getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.